I'm going to go follow Mark right now. Hold on. <laughs> Please do. Our new maker is Mark Spagnuolo. <laughs> Yay! Follow me! Who I should do him as a new maker. Uh-huh. Plus one. <laughs> Perfect. Is your Instagram the Wood Whisperer or Mark uh, t- Leave the word the out, just Wood Whisperer. Okay. All right, man. I'm following you. Cool. Thanks for doing that live on the show. Yeah. No, this is all this well, is all getting edited out. Well, or Blake knowing Blake he'll put this at the very beginning. Yeah, this will be at the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're we're professional. Exactly. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is the Craft Will Never Die podcast. My name is Blake Weber, and I'm joined by Nick Key, also known as Key Woodworks, and Jason Hibbs, also known as Bourbon Moth Woodworking. And we've got some other guy who decided to join us today as well, but we'll tell you a little bit more about him in a minute. We're recording remotely from our wood shops in four different states around the country, but our microphones have brought us together once again for another episode of the Craft Will Never Die podcast. What is going on, guys? What's up, fellas? Hello. Hey. Hey, guys. What? Guess What? What? We have patrons this week. Remind me what those are again. They are people that actually support us. That is awesome. Financially. Ah, so we got like $3. Yeah, we have One actually more than $3. <laughs> I don't yeah. do math well, but we have maybe nine or possibly more. Oh, wow. $9? We're rich. Yeah. Oh, my God, Whoa. you guys, we're rich. Tell us more. It's crazy. So let me let me name off our new patrons here. Okay. First, we've got Suburban Artifact. Nice. And Maury sellers and our very first crew member michael bauer rad and to top that we have our very first guardian crew member oh boy stewart 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 no last name just stewart don't we sound like we have our own D &D league with these names (laughs) the crew the guardian yeah well welcome everybody that's awesome well well wait okay because because stewart is a guardian that means that we promised I would put his name into a haiku and recite it on the podcast. Yes, you That's did. That's correct. And so when I found out that Stuart had become a guardian, I walked into the woods alone and I sat down and I spent some time <laughs> pondering and reflecting. And um, these words came to me. Stuart cuts deep. Chips fly, dirtying the floor. The floor cries sadness that's for you Stuart <laughs> Man. thank you for your patronage uh, that was perfect uh, I okay. feel like I'm at a coffee house yeah, yeah that awesome. was just for him um, I hope you shed a tear over that Stuart uh, they're just, that's mm, awesome they're I can't believe we already face. have patrons though that's awesome oh I'm so stoked I can't believe anybody anybody signed up Seriously, though, cool. thank you for the support, everybody. It's been absolutely incredible just supporting us with the reviews and all the shout-outs, and now we've got some people on the patron list, so that's that's awesome. Very cool. Well, um, we've got a first today. We're going to start incorporating guests on the show, and we've got our very first guest today, uh, somebody who needs no introduction, but uh, I think Jason's going to give him one anyway. Who do we got today, Jason? Oh, man, I'm excited about this one. Now, this is a guy who uses his own hand-cut box joints to square up his miter saw, all right? This is a guy that when he was born, he came out holding a half-inch bevel-edged chisel. It was very painful for his mother. She didn't speak to him for years. (laughs) It is said that when he needs a toothpick, he wanders alone into the woods and falls a tree. 
He mills it, seasons the wood, and then turns a toothpick on his own hand-built lathe. Oh, wow. He bathes in mineral spirits and uses a block plane attached to a hand-carved stick to shave his back. I'm talking about none other than the legendary Mike Spaglini. <laughs> That's all true. Did I get that did I get that right? It's yes, it's all true. That's the correct pronunciation, also my correct name. <laughs> Uh, and it's very clear to me that you just started following me on Instagram, so I'm very happy to be here. Wait, you're yeah, on Instagram? I, ju- I literally just started, so. No, we have the Wood Whisperer on the podcast today, ladies and gentlemen. We're very excited to have him here. That's right, the Wood Whisperer, also known as Mark Spagnolo. It's an absolute honor to have you here today, man. Thanks for joining us. It's, a, it's an honor to be here, guys. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, welcome to the show. So with that being said, um, kind of our natural flow here is we just dive into the what's going on. So who better to to jump it off than Mark? What's going on in the wood shop yeah, for you right now, what's man? What's going on, Mark? Today was today was a dusty, dusty day. Um, working on a dining table. I don't do typically mid-century modern stuff, but that's the way this table is coming out. And uh, on the underside, it's a big eight-quarter top, and we're trying to just kind of lighten the look a little bit. So I put this half-inch by five-inch bevel on the underside which sounds like it's not that much right until you start trying to actually tackle that now you can't put a big tabletop over the table saw to make that cut which would be like yeah. the ideal way um so it's it's like power carving tools are coming out the belt sander which is something that i haven't used in forever <laughs> is coming out and the just the actual manual labor to get this stupid little bevel that no one's even going to see the whole point of it is not to see it <laughs> Uh, yeah. I'm like, man, don't they just make a giant shaper bit or like a router bit that I could use for this instead of doing it by hand? Uh, Five it, inches. Wow. That's, that's yeah. And you're, and you're only going a half inch depth, you know, uh, yeah. for the, the deepest part of it. But it's it's a half inch wide. So it's really a, a slight taper. But doing that all with like power carving tools, a hand plane and just kind of working it down. It was it was an all day event. So thankfully, that is behind us. And uh, the rest of the afternoon, I spent trying to get shots of this table because it's a big dining table and my shop isn't big enough to kind of like have a photo booth or anything. Mm. Um, so I'm putting it in this corner, then we take it outside. Now it's in the driveway and it's, it's like a whole thing just to get a damn photo of this thing that looks, <laughs> that looks decent. And I like all the cool features we put into it, spent all this time doing this stuff and I can't get the lighting on it to show like a bevel uh, just yeah. the right way. What kind oh, of wood yeah. is it? <clears throat> it's all walnut. So that makes it even okay. worse. So like yeah. if there's a strong top light, the shadow on the aprons yeah, where all the it. detail is like you can't yeah. see anything. Yeah, my so. son's walnut. It's really hard to take pictures of him too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So is that yeah. bevel just to make it kind of look less heavy? It just kind of lightens it up a little bit? Yeah, because we, we wanted to do an eight-quarter top. The legs and the aprons, it's all from eight-quarter, but a full-on eight-quarter top just looked too substantial for the piece. I had to slim it yeah. down. Um, and then once you – it's one of those things too. Like I like to make furniture that even if you take a couple pictures, you don't really see all the detail. If you were there in person and you actually got down and took a look, um, I, I want people to be able to explore this piece and, and find some of these details later, right. even if they're not immediately obvious. But the primary function is to make the top look a little bit thinner than it is. So does the bevel – I mean, what's the edge look like? Does it come up to a round over or just like yeah, to a so- point at the end? Well, basically, you've got th- – think of an eight-quarter top. I measure it down an uh, inch and a quarter, and then I take it from that point five inches in on the underside. Oh, right, so it's just yeah. very light. So it's actually still an inch and a quarter edge is what the eye sees when you're standing okay. in front of the table. But that's right. just a flat edge. It's not like rounded over anything. Just a flat edge, and it's okay. a, it's eased a little bit with like a you know 16th round over. It's, it's not substantial at all. 
Um, yeah. Just to make it so that you don't cut yourself or um, the person who's, it's actually my brother-in-law who's taken it. So my nieces are little teeny tinies and they're going to hit their heads on this thing a hundred times. So <laughs> trying to, trying to blunt some of these edges as much as we can. Right on. Nice. Yeah. What's the, what's the base look like? So the base is pretty basic. Um, Huh. <laughs> I was hoping someone would catch that one. Uh, so I wanted to go with a, a pretty large overhang. So um, that's that's the one thing that's a little bit unusual about this because the base has splayed legs, which is, I guess, kind of what makes it look a little mid-century modern at 15-degree splay. Uh, each leg is, um, well, we've got the primary angle, and then the inside angle is actually slightly different on each leg. So it's kind of tapered on its way down. They get a little skinnier as they go down. Uh, each leg has tapered bevels on it, again, making mm-hmm. the foot look a little bit thinner and it tapers off as it goes to the top. Uh, the long rail is pretty boring. It just goes in with a nice angled mortise and tenon joint. Uh, the short aprons, those I had some choices to make, but I decided to angle the, um, the apron itself in at the same angle as the legs. So it's kind of parallel with the leg, but it's at a 15 degree angle in space, like to us looking at it. Yeah, um, that was so my favorite part. Yeah, it, it was kind of an interesting way to go. I don't know. Again, I don't know that style. So mid, mid-century modern is not my thing. Um, but I was just kind of, I started with the 15 degrees and went from there. It just happens that this thing kind of looks like it would be happy in, in mid-century modern <laughs> like home. Uh, but it was really, honestly, I worked with uh, Jory Brigham about, uh, I don't know, six months ago, uh, was up at his shop. And that's this is kind of all he does. And uh, I didn't realize how much I was influenced by that because, again, it's not my style, but I put pencil to paper and this is the thing that came out. And afterwards, I was like, oh, I guess I, I did get a little bit influenced by this guy because you could definitely yeah, see yeah. like the roots yeah. of his furniture in this piece. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's killer. Probably use pretty... for finish on it. Well, you guys will like this. Uh, Rubio, Monica. Uh, dollar <laughs> oh, dollar in the jar. Put, put a dollar, dollar in the jar. You lost a buck. Yeah, I did, bring, I did bring some spare change for that. Uh, so... <laughs> I, I did a flooring project in, in the house and we had it professionally finished, but I asked the guy to use Rubio and uh, we wanted to darken it a little bit. So we went with the walnut color and I bought way more than I needed because that's that's the cool thing about that stuff is like how far it can go on a project. Um, so I had a whole like liter of this and I needed to use it. So we actually used the walnut on, on walnut. On the walnut? Oh, wow. Yeah. Which I've never is, done that before. Well, it's amazing, man, because like if there's little variations, a little bit of sapwood here and there, it actually evens that out a little bit. Really? And, and, and walnut over time gets lighter, right? So if it gets a lot of sun exposure, it will just kind of get a little more creamy looking over time. And it loses some of that really you know, beautiful dark brown color that we get when it's fresh. So what I'm hoping is uh, this is going to be something that will actually help. I mean, because it doesn't dramatically change it. It's already dark. Uh, yeah. I'm just hoping that it kind of evens that out and keeps the color a little bit more of that intense dark uh, brown walnut. Yeah. I've always wanted to do a walnut piece and use that R product and do <laughs> like like the cotton white or the white. Because I mm-hmm. feel like it'd leave the walnut looking like when you sand it. Because I like that color walnut. And then you put yeah. stuff on it and it gets that beautiful, you know, brown. But I don't know if you could keep that pre-sanded look or that sure. sanded look. Well, yeah, it's got that kind of grayish, uh, you know, washed look to it when it's yeah, when yeah. it's raw. Yeah, that is now, interesting. Now, is that the eastern black walnut you're using mostly for over there for uh, your projects? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I, I buy it as black walnut, but I, I don't know beyond that where it's sourced. Have you ever used Clara walnut? 
Um, once or twice. I don't. I don't have. It's. I don't have a good source for it, so it's not something okay. I, I get access well, to. And he's not an old guy like you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. There's a lot of a lot of gray in his beard. <laughs> yeah. Blake's into the old, you know, man woods. No, so. it's just Claro. That that stuff. That's mostly what we have around here in California because it grows here, and it's. It, Is it, that why all the California people use it? I think I so. Yeah, it's California Claro oh, yeah. walnut. No, it's, it's gorgeous okay. stuff. It's quite a bit different from the black walnut. It's got a lot of sort of orangey reddish warm tones in the grain, and it's a lot different from the black walnut, which has kind of more darker brown and grayish brown tones to it. Well, this is um this is a good transition into what's going on for you, Blake, because I saw you just use some for your kitchen, which is done, by the way, right? Yeah, it is done. I'm so glad to have that project done and behind me, man. Um, I did the remodel and the addition probably uh. I mean, it's been a four or five year project in the making from the design to, <laughs> to the, to the addition oh to finally, I took a break for about two years where I was just over it and just didn't want to work on it at all. And the last piece of the puzzle was that kitchen, which I just finally finished. I, I talked about this in the, in the podcast last week, but I've done painting, hung the shelves and yeah, those are that California Clara Walnut that I use for the shelves. Um, when we first moved into the house, I had a slab of that Clara walnut that I used as a bar in sort of a breakfast bar that transitions between the dining area and the kitchen. And I had some just barely enough left over to use to make some shelves in the actual kitchen. So did some tile behind them, put the shelves up and even kind of the, the cherry on top with a little bit of under cabinet mount lighting and all that. So yeah, I'm super stoked to have it done. Fancy, man. It looks awesome. The whole house looks great. Thanks. Yeah, it really does look good. Yeah. It gives hey, me you... encouragement for our own home remodel that I'm currently living in. <laughs> yeah, it feels like a never-ending process, but uh... well, maybe well, in four years I'll have it done. Yeah. <laughs> what was the finish you used on that? I'm looking at the picture of the uh, countertop, which is amazing, by the way. What uh, finish did you put on that one? Funny you should ask, because I was actually looking up sanding sealers, and one of your videos came up from over a decade ago. It was, <laughs> it was like 2008, 2009, or something like that. And here's yeah. some dude who calls himself the Wood Whisperer talking about sanding sealer and how you can use it under uh, wipe-on polyurethane. So that's what okay. I ended up doing, because I really like the wipe-on polyurethane finishes, because I like how you can control the amount of buildup you have so mm -hmm. you can you can just keep layering on really thin coats they lay right. down you know there's no brush or streak marks or anything like that and then you get to a point where it's that perfect balance between you still have the natural look and feel of the wood you know but it has enough enough sheen or enough protection or whatever so, so it's just right yeah um but every time i've done that before i usually end up doing five or six coats for a really nice piece of furniture, but I didn't want to do that for some shelves. So I looked that up and found that video and, and ended up using sanding sealer first and it worked great. Nice. It kind of built it up and then just kind of knocked down the brush marks in the sanding sealer. And then uh, I did only two coats of the polyurethane and it looked like six coats. So mm. right. Builds a lot faster. Yeah. That's mm. awesome. Yeah. I like that wipe on poly. I used to use that on absolutely everything before the um, R product came along. But we won't talk about that. <laughs> I, I think you might you might have to like it might be fifty cents or something. Even if you say our product, can I not even say the R product? You don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the stuff that pirates use. Oh, okay. <laughs> Arr. So, Arr. <laughs> Nick, you're being quiet over there, man. What do you What have you been working on? Oh, 
so last, I, I guess it was earlier this week, a coworker of mine was like, hey, can you make me a wooden doormat? And I was like, sure, why not? Should be pretty simple. And I just needed a break from the quote unquote content scene. And I just went out in the shop one night and spent like three hours and knocked out this really simple doormat out of Southern Yellow Pine and some poplar dowels. And it turned out really nice. It looks really good. I gave it to her today, actually, and she was, you know, over the moon with it. And it's the most simple project ever. But it was it was kind of good to get back to my roots and just make some sawdust and cut some holes and and just be in my own head for about two or three hours and just listen so to podcasts. You didn't turn on a camera or anything? Nothing. I took one wow. photo when I was done with it. Well, before I put finish on it. And that was it. Like, I didn't document a single thing of it. It was... It was great. Did you post that photo? Like, I don't, I didn't see yeah, that. I posted one photo oh, okay, of it, okay. and that was it. Yeah, if you don't post a photo, then it didn't Just happen. to prove that you There's did no it. Right. Proof of it, so. I mean, you have to at least <laughs> post one photo, then no one believes you. Did you yeah. find it uh, therapeutic to do that? Yes. It was extremely therapeutic. Yeah. Like, I didn't, I didn't worry about lighting, or is my camera angle good? Do I have everything I need in the shot? Like, can people see what I'm doing? Like, none of that. I was just... Let's just bang this out, and it felt great. Like it, it was like the olden days of before I discovered Instagram, of everyone <laughs> wanting to know what you're doing and trying to you know document it well and try and get the views. So that was that was called Facebook. Oh, is that wait what? <laughs> Where you just all you would post is a finished product of what you're what you yeah. doing. Yeah. Oh right, yeah. right. No, that was MySpace. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. What the good old the good old days. <laughs> Back when you got work done really quick. I'm the old That's one right. and you're talking about MySpace? <laughs> hey, Tom was my first friend. <laughs> Who? <laughs> That's cool, man. Isn't, isn't Tom everybody's first friend? Yeah, that's that's the yeah. general rule of MySpace. Okay. There you go. No, I know, what right. you, I know what you mean, though. When I, when I was doing the kitchen remodel and even those shelves out of walnut, like I, I felt like guilty almost for not turning on a camera, but at the same time, I was like, this is really nice. And... Instead of trying to make a YouTube video, which is a lot more work and a lot more just setup and camera angles and lighting and all that, I just did some really casual Instagram stories stuff and it was it was fun. It was a lot more like you said, I could be in my own head and not think too much about it. I yeah. always refer to like the whole content production thing as it's like a ball and chain. It's it's like you know, swinging a bat with a donut on it. It's it's extra stuff and things that you have to do that get in the way of actually creating a thing. Totally, and it's part of, yeah. If it's part of what we do, if it's part of your business, then you have to do it. Um, but sometimes it's just like, man, I totally get it. And there, there's, I'm doing something now where I have an opportunity to build something and there's just no reason to film it. And every second yeah. I get of that time where I could just throw on headphones, not worry about angles and just get things done. It's like, wow, I could be productive if yeah. I didn't have to do all this other yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's crazy how fast you can be. And you're actually yep. speaking during your videos most of the time. You're not just doing a voiceover later. So when you're building something, you really have to be thinking about all of that at the same time. Yeah, you? yeah. And our, and our paid membership stuff, I do speak like 90% of the time. For the free site stuff, though, I do try to do voiceovers. So it's a little bit better because sometimes I can actually have music playing in the background, which yeah. is a treat. <laughs> or listen to a podcast. Or listen to a podcast. That's right. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, didn't you have a podcast for a little while? Eh, a little thing. Yeah. Just a little thing. I thought, I thought so. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, we did. We did Wood Talk for over uh, 10 years. Oh, yeah, Wood Talk. Just got a little little long in the tooth. It, well, and again, it just comes back to stuff that got in the way. And the, you guys know the, the prep and the time that it takes to, to record, get ready, get three people schedules to sync up. Um, that was after 10 years, I was just, you know, I was the only host of the show of all the co-hosts who's been there the whole time. Mm, so yeah. for me, it's been that full span of time. And I'm like, I, I love you guys. I love doing the show. I love the audience, <laughs> but I'd like to get my Fridays back, you know, because mm, yeah. it's, I just want another day of work and I've got two little kids now. So I just don't have the time, uh, that I used to, to put into these things. Don't, so, no. don't it's, listen to him guys. Just don't. I, I, I envy you, man. I cannot wait for the day that. You know, we're done to <laughs> you, when you can quit this show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm counting down the days. Um, you got to get one of those retirement apps that just keeps ooh, yeah, day by day right. counting down for you. Yeah. Oh, I already have one going. <laughs> I just haven't told them what the date is. <laughs> right. You guys will find out the hard way. Ten episodes <laughs> and we're done. That's, That's right. it. Yeah. What about what about you, Jason? Died. What's up? What have you been doing? What's that? Yeah. What do you? What's oh, up me? with you? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. I just get so and you know I I like listening to you guys. I forget about myself. <laughs> um, you should become a patron. I go through these weird phases. It seems with my build list where I do a ton of hardwood stuff like oak and walnut, and that's all I'm doing. And then I just go through this period of just all reclaimed stuff, and I'm in this reclaimed thing right now, and. I'm starting to remember how much I hate reclaimed wood compared to like wood that you can buy <laughs> dimensionally and just have what you need. It seems like it'd be a pain uh, to work with. Man, it is a pain. And I feel like people think like, oh, reclaimed wood, it's going to be easier because, you know, it's rough and you can hide your mistakes and it just looks vintage and aged. But it's not easier, at least for me, because I'm a perfectionist. So before I can build anything out of reclaimed wood, I have to spend like, you know, a day and a half milling it up and making sure it's all square and nice and so you basically have to build your lumber before you can build anything with your lumber um (laughs) so it's been a it's been a battle this last couple weeks i was working on two vanities and a barn door for a client and they wanted them pretty rustic all with different finishes but still all reclaimed um fur oh oh so 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 rustic that's when your work is actually like really crappy but you just want to pass it off as rustic because Mm, right because that's the best you can do no that's when people decide just to paint their cabinets versus spray them oh okay Um, yeah 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 i love my brush marks no it looks awesome man (laughs) no and you can get away with reclaimed wood with a lot of stuff i guess but i don't know i i go with try and get it as perfect as possible and then you know let it fall where it where it may but these vanities they were tricky one of them was um it's like customers always they never just want a simple vanity that's going to be really easy they want to add in these like weird things like this one vanity it's not just normal drop-in sink it's a double sink but it's all one sink that's like a full trough that's going to sit on top so it's like a really long trough sink Hmm. So where like a double sink, you'd have plumbing on both sides that you could kind of hide behind cabinets. All the plumbing still is in the middle on this one, but they wanted open shelving in the middle. But Hmm. if you did open shelving with the plumbing in the middle, you're going to see all that plumbing. So I had to create this like false little box to hide the plumbing with the open shelving in front. But then you can't just box it in and make it permanent because if there's ever like a plumbing issue, you got to be able to get to all those pipes and stuff. So I had to make it in a way that it was boxed in, but you could take off these panels to get to the plumbing. And it's just always little things like that that, you know, make it a little more difficult. But it's fun at the same time. Seems like you could have just gone to Ikea and found something like that that would just pop right into place. 
Yeah, probably. Maybe that's what I should start doing is I'll just quote a job, get the money, and then I'll go buy it at Ikea and call it quits. <laughs> Save you a lot of <laughs> it's time. It's not a bad business model. No, not, not, not a bad idea. No, but I got uh, the vanities done. I did um, iron oxide on one to kind of, they wanted a really like weathered gray look. And so that turned out pretty good. And then I used a um, no-name um, finish over the top <laughs> that you rub on. Um, mm-hmm. And I was a little worried that it would change the coloring of that iron oxide because it was a really nice gray color. And I was worried when I was going to put that kind of pure um, oil over the top that it darkened it up too much. But I actually really like the way it looks. You still get that gray through it. It just looks a little more, I don't know, finished off. So mm. I'm happy with how it turned out. Sweet. But yeah. How'd you do, how'd you do your uh, iron oxide? Well, so way back at the genesis of my business, um, I did custom furniture, but I also had a lot of small items that I did that I sold on Etsy. And some of those items were like little shelves and beer caddies, kind of where everybody starts in woodworking, you know. And of course, um, that was a couple of years ago. The thing to do was just mix vinegar and steel wool. Everybody put that stuff on everything. And so I had this tub of that from like a year and a half ago that's just been sitting on a shelf in my shop and I was a little worried that it was, you know, going to be too far gone, but I pulled it out, put it on there and it was good to go, man. And it didn't give you that orange great. color you were talking about a little while back? No, because it, you get that orange color when you store the steel wool in the vinegar. And oh, leave I it. see. Because then it gets that really rusty color. Um, yeah. I learned a long time ago, you just want that steel wool in the vinegar for like six to eight hours and then pull it out and then it does its job and, and then, then it's actually got uh, apparently it's got a really good shelf life because this thing's i mean it's a couple years old and it's still working so huh yeah worked good well sweet uh let's see we got to get a word from our sponsor this time jason what do you got for us today well i'm glad you asked blake today's episode is brought to us by vigor wood conditioner now are you a new woodworker that really wants to use harder woods like walnut maple and oak but all you can afford are those soft woods like pine, poplar, and hemlock? Well, Vigor Wood Conditioner has the solution. Vigor Wood Conditioner has figured out a chemical way to take soft woods and make them hard. You just take our patented Vigor Blue Pill, crush it up, and mix it with water. You then rub this solution on your soft wood, like pine and poplar, and your soft wood immediately becomes hard. <laughs> If your wood does not become hard within four to six hours, just call customer service and we'll get you taken care of. Vigor Wood Conditioner. It's the way of the future. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> Placing my order I, now? I, I have a question, though. What if it doesn't return to softwood after 72 hours? Is, should I be consulting someone? Oh, no. We've designed it that it'll stay hard <laughs> indefinitely. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. <laughs> All right. Do you got a topic for us, buddy? Absolutely. We're going to talk about design today. So I figured I'd ask you guys, what is your design process? What kind of things do you look for for inspiration? And maybe how has that changed from when you first started woodworking to where you're at today? Um, why don't we start off with Mark? What What's your design process like? You know, I don't really consider myself much of a, you know, quote unquote designer. It's something that doesn't really come natural to me. And I think... Um, I'm so influenced by everybody that I observe and all the people that I follow and people I spend time with. 
so it's really hard for me to build anything without immediately seeing, oh, got that idea from this person or got that idea from that mm. person. So, so even yeah. when I think it's like, oh, this is an original idea. In reality, if I really took the time to trace it back and think about where I may have gotten that influence, um, it's probably going to be something I saw someone else do. Uh, so really, you know, for me, design is just uh, doing a mishmash of things that I find interesting and it's all coming from stuff I've seen before. And I think being in a position where I teach people all the time, I'm not out there to take credit for making, you know, amazing designs. I don't think my, my uh, you know, history when people look back on it will ever be, oh, Mark was an amazing designer. It's the education side of it. So hmm. I don't really get any major benefit from claiming originality or anything hmm. in my work. I'm just a generalist and I, I enjoy doing lots of different things. I am very easily distracted. I'll, I'll go from one style to the next just because that's what keeps it fun and interesting. It's challenging if I keep bouncing around. If, if I have to do the same style over and over, I would get really bored really fast. Yeah, uh, you know. So for me, it's it's always a mishmash of other people's ideas, and I like to give credit as much as possible, as much as I can remember. Um, you know, the table I just built, totally inspired by Jory uh, Brigham, and because a lot of his stuff looks like this, uh, and that's what was on my brain at the moment because I was just editing his his project for our, our guild website. So I was looking at his Hank chair and then designing a yeah. table for my brother-in-law. I'm like, oh, look at those legs, and it was only till afterwards. I'm like crap man that's like that's totally something that jory would build um, <laughs> but i'm not gonna pass that off as like hey everyone look at my great original design that no one else has ever made anything like this you know right it's, yeah it's hard do you to be find truly... that i mean that in doing that you said you like to give credit to people um yeah. do you ever find that people are like still offend like in any way offended like oh this guy's stealing my design or do you think that people are pretty open to like you know appreciative you gave credit that's good enough or I think it depends. I mean, some some people can be get a little bit crabby about it, and I try to make sure that if I'm gonna do some sort of public influence thing, that I do it with someone who I know will likely mm -hmm. be okay with it. You know, um, I have had things where I've designed something, and I had someone contact me and send me a picture and go, "You copied what I did," and it's like this thing that looks. I mean, it's pretty close, but. I don't know. I mean, maybe did I see it in a Google search at some point that it locked into the back of my brain possibly, uh, but the person's pretty bent out of shape about it. And it's like, well, look, I, I mean, no harm with any of this. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be selling this design to some furniture company and making a million bucks off of it. It's, you know, I just made a YouTube video. Um, so yeah, I mean, but I would say for the most part, you know, especially with like the Instagram culture that's out there, I find people are very quick to credit others. Uh, yeah. and, and, and that to me, like, that's a good thing. Let's keep that going. Let's never lose that. Um, because if we're all willing to credit our inspiration, there's a lot less likelihood of someone getting to the point that they're super upset that someone copied their work. At least yeah. I hope. Yeah, I totally. Hope so. Now, do you true. find, especially for what you're doing with the guild and the teaching aspect of it that you're doing for that, and the fact that you also have to make plans for most of your work, do you design everything 100% before you start working on it? Or do you kind of start off with an idea and make modifications as you go and then make plans when you're done with it? Yeah, it's always an idea, uh, especially for the things that I build. I know Matt Cremona, he also builds in the guild. He does it pretty much like I do. It's kind of a just-in-time sort of thing. So um, the way the guild works, we put these things up for pre-order 
sometimes a year ahead of time. And all we have at that point is an idea. And the way I get that idea in, into some form that people kind of know what they're buying is to find, I'll do a Google image, image search and try to find something that's in the ballpark of, of what I want to do. And then we turn it into line art. So we strip out all the detail and it's just a very sort of somewhat vague image, but it, you get the idea. Woodworkers can, can tell what a hall tree looks like or what a you know, dining table looks like. So we'll make this line art image and that's how we sell the project. There won't actually be a photo of the project until after it's made. So it definitely is something that develops as we start building it. And I'll go mm. back and forth with, with the guy who does our plans. We'll go back and forth and I'll be like, all right, I changed this thing, put this into the SketchUp, put this into the PDF. Um, and we just develop it as it goes. Gotcha. Yeah. Hmm. What about, uh, what about you, Jason? How do you, what's your design process? Well, design for me is a little bit different because I mean, all of my work is for clients. And so a lot of my design is completely client driven. And that can be everything from like, they come to me with a picture that they found online and they're like, this is exactly what we want it to look like. Or they come to me with, you know, multiple pictures and they're like, we like this, you know, base, we like this top, we like, you know, and they want me to kind of pick from a bunch of different designs and mash it together. Um, I have those really scary clients that come to me and they're like, we trust you. We like what you do. Just do whatever you want. (laughs) And they're scary because I know, I know that no one ever actually means that 100%. And so it's kind of like hit or miss. You do something that you think is awesome and they're like, no, that's not what we're looking for. And then you're like, well, why didn't you tell me what you were looking for? You said you didn't care. I mean, and so those are always the, those are always the scary clients. All I um, all I can say is it's a good thing you're not a tattoo artist. <laughs> seriously, I just put my name on everybody. <laughs> I just sign my name. No, um, but yeah, lot. I would say eighty percent of what I do is at least somewhat client driven as far as what the design is, which is actually really fun for me because. I am extremely ADD, Um, and I don't just, like, say that. I mean, I'm literally ADD. I have to take medication in order to focus in the shop on a daily basis. I mean, we we, we spent the entire last episode talking about you getting distracted by squirrels. (laughs) Well, exactly. Squirrel! (laughs) But the whole, like, you know, custom work for clients really plays into that because I get to do, you know, different designs, different, you know, styles. Every week it's something new, which is really cool. And, um, I mean, I will actually say no to stuff if it's going to fall right after something I did that was exactly the same just because I just don't like doing the same thing over and over again yeah um but I was asking Mark about you know if people get offended by you know giving credit or that sort of thing because I had one client that came to me and they showed me a really grainy picture they had printed off so it was like they showed me actual physical picture of a table and they're like we love this table it was this really unique kind of geometric base um and they're like, we'd love if you could build this table. And so I was like, yeah, I think I can figure it out. I built them the table. I posted it on Instagram. Well, I get a DM from this company and they're like, you totally ripped off our design. Oh. And I felt I felt terrible because I had no clue who they were. I was just building, you know, what my client showed me in this picture. And so I immediately went into the post on Instagram. I edited it. I gave them credit, you know, I looked at their page, I saw like, yeah, this is definitely where my client got the picture. I tried to do everything right, but they were still just kind of, you know, butthurt about it. And 
I didn't know how to, to fix the situation. And I went over it, you know, in my head. I reached out to some other woodworkers trying to figure out if I did something wrong. This is still when I was a little new in the woodworking community. Trying to figure out, like, did I somehow do something wrong? Should I have said no to this if I didn't know who it was? And the more I thought about it, it's like, no, I mean, you just can't do that with everything. I I mean, I was the one that spent the time to figure the design out. Sure, somebody else came up with it, but I don't know. It's a weird it's a weird world you walk into as far as design goes. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that at all. Although you don't work with clients as much, so. Yeah. No. Well, I wonder if that's part of the like the if it's supposed to be part of the due diligence as a builder that you do if you're accepting photos from people, like are you supposed to go to that level of like let me do a reverse search on this to see if I could find who the original yeah. maker was and ask them for permission like that's a that's a lot to do for just a one off project for one client. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing with me, it's always one off. It's not like yeah. I'm going to do this design and then I'm going to carry it in a store and people can purchase that design for me. I mean, it's a one time Thing. Yeah, I, I feel like if a client comes to you and they want you to build something, even if they've seen it somewhere else, I mean, then you should be able to build whatever they want you to build. I mean, unless you're going to develop an entire product line from that design, that's a little bit different. But if somebody wants you to build it, then I mean, that's between you and the client. Right. Yeah. But it is it is between me and the client. But where it gets interesting is I post everything I do on Instagram. So then it becomes between me and all of my <laughs> followers and the client. Yeah. And that's that's where it gets kind of a gray area. True. Yeah. yeah. Well, it looks so. like you're taking credit for the design and you're just showing something you built. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So anyways, that's but honestly, out of all of the custom stuff I've done over five, six years now, that is the one kind of you know, not great experience I've had doing custom stuff. I've had lots of experiences where like a client will show me something and I know who the designer is like, cause I follow them on Instagram and I've reached out before and said, Hey, I have this client that wants me to build this. Do you have any issue with that? And for the most part, everyone on Instagram has been amazing. I mean, in the woodworking world, they're like, Oh no, absolutely. Go ahead. If you need any advice or need any help, let me know. And they've been really open and awesome. So that's cool. For the most part, it's been really good. But yeah, as far as, creating designs uh, most of it's client-led every once in a while I get to do my my own thing but that's that's very rare although we're doing this house remodel right now and um, when we gutted our house we basically threw away all of our old store-bought furniture and I pledged to make all the furniture for our house which means we probably won't have furniture for 20 years but <laughs> I will I will at least get to design it myself and do what I want to do so that'll be fun you get four years four years <laughs> four years to get the remodel done the the furniture i get at least another 10 oh okay so how about you nick what's your take on design for me i i have uh three clients basically i have whoever is paying me myself and my wife <laughs> so those three people tell me what to build who's so the most important client in all yeah. those Myself. <laughs> I'm just kidding. My wife doesn't Your wife listen must to this not podcast. listen to the She doesn't podcast. listen to the podcast. <laughs> no, she doesn't listen. She is the most important because she I mean, absolutely gets to the trump card on, on design for everything that goes in the house. Obviously, I get to take the first whack at the design, but she will sign off on stuff. But Do you I'm, and your I'm wife a, have similar design tastes, or are they both like different ends of the spectrum? Uh, we have similar, similar tastes, but she will always defer to me because she thinks I have better taste. 
oh. for like designing and like uh, decorating that kind of thing. But I mean, she she's got great taste. I just I just think she needs more confidence in and actually saying this is what I want. Mm. But I'm like you with design, so I do one offs for pretty much everything. And this project I'm working on now is a one off of something that they showed me online of a retail piece. It's the uh, ash shelves I'm making. And the only reason I'm making it is because that retail doesn't make it small enough for this client's house. So uh. they, they came to me and said, can you make this exact piece, but at these dimensions so that it will fit in my house? So like, I'm kind of at a crossroads there thinking about this. Do I need to reach out to those people and say, I'm going to just basically rip your entire design, but make it smaller to fit these people's needs see or is it yeah see to me is it mine that's why somebody would go to a custom furniture builder in the first place is that they see something and they like the general idea or the general design of it but there's something about it that isn't right for them there's something that doesn't meet their needs so they go to somebody who can build a custom version for them right or maybe a higher quality version or something made out of better materials it's something that the company who originally designed it either can't or won't be able to provide for them right so do I need to credit the original designer then of that or I don't I don't know. It's one of those gray areas where I I don't think I need to, but I may drop a line of like inspiration by I don't even know where it came from. I can't remember the the site that they showed me, but Ethan Allen or something like that, you know, mm. one of the big restoration hardware yeah, styles. I would say with big companies like that, don't even bother. Right. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, they, maybe Maybe I'm just being a jerk, but I mean, no, they. I'm. I'm not even on their radar. If it was like a, if it was like a small, you know, hometown shop where some guys doing stuff and they really like to design there and wanted you to recreate something, that's one thing. But like a, you know, a national chain that just has mass-produced veneered crap, right? I, I'd say, screw it, man. Don't worry. Yeah, about and it. plus <laughs> it might resemble it in the finished product, but it won't be the same. I mean, you're not going to use the same construction techniques or the same materials no. or any of that. Well, I might. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Particle uh, board and paper veneer. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Do you build a lot of furniture for your house, Mark? I do. Uh, most of it these days is either for my house or for a family member. So I, I stopped doing client work uh, like eight years ago. Uh, and I'll do something if like a neighbor wants something and it's like a unique project that makes it worthwhile yeah. to do. I'll do it, uh, but I don't really have any clients anymore. So everything is pretty much either for the house or for family or a friend. Do you find yourself, because I mean, your job is content creation. Do you find yourself when you're choosing designs, picking things that you know are going to create good content? No, um, not at all. I, I try not to do that. I think um, I, I, I've mixed, I've like this love-hate relationship with the, the whole concept of making content. And there's yeah. a lot of aspects of it that I don't like. I, I, I feel like, you know, especially as craftspeople, sometimes you, you've got to follow your vision. You've got to go in a certain direction, <clears throat> excuse me, and and making something just because the latest Star Wars video came out and you know this is going to be a hit is, is kind of, it's chasing something that I don't feel like I need to chase. Um, mm. So generally speaking, no, I don't, I, I don't really do things. I mean, there's, there's times when I'll go, oh, this is good timing. Like this thing I want to make for my my son is a cool toy that coincides with the release. Like it, I might get lucky once in a while, but I very rarely try to, to to specifically build something based on how successful I think it will be as a piece of content. Hmm. Interesting. So here's the real question. Do you and your wife have the same style sense? 
I don't know because there is no style in our house. I move around so much from style to style. What I, what I can say is she's super tolerant of it. So I don't even know. <laughs> like if I wasn't a furniture maker, I don't know what we would have in our house because, <laughs> like ever since we've been uh, you know able to afford furniture, I guess uh, I've been a woodworker. So we've always had you know if we buy something, it's typically like let's just get this cheap thing because I'm eventually going to replace it. So I don't even know what our styles are, but I do know that like everything that I build for the most part, if I'm happy with it, she's happy with it. So she's super um, accommodating when it comes to me switching gears and having 20 different wood species throughout the house. Nothing matches in our house. And, and that's okay. called eclectic. Uh, let's, let's go with that. <laughs> she's big on a spagnolo style yeah she's you know what it's like regardless of whether it's all this perfect theme she's not that kind of like homemaker mentality where where everything just needs to be perfect so she could post the best you know uh picture on instagram um she likes having good quality furniture that fills a need and as long yeah. as i do that she doesn't care what it looks like she actually just wants it to do a thing for her and when it does she's happy my hmm. wife is not like that. <laughs> <laughs> My wife gets frustrated because I'll like I'll weigh in on design and say like no, I think it should be like this or that and she's like you're a guy, you shouldn't care about these things. Like <laughs> decorating the house, that should be the woman's thing, but yeah. I don't know. I I do care about those things. Sure. The hard thing for me is like I do client work all day long, you know, Monday through Friday, and then the weekend rolls around and my wife wants me to build something. And I just, as much as I love woodworking and I love building stuff, building stuff for myself never happens because I'm just tired. I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. The cobbler's children have no shoes. Is that? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) That's what old people say. Right. (laughs) But I mean, looking at your house, Blake, it looks very well put together. I know that your wife is a very artistically minded woman. I mean, she does some really cool art stuff. Does she weigh heavily in your kind of design sense or? Um, I mean, not really for the actual woodworking part or the house design stuff. I do all that, but she's in charge of the art on the walls and the house plants, which she diligently keeps alive mm. somehow all over the place. And I guess the overall interior decorating, we've it works out good. We've figured out our perspective <laughs> house decorating roles, I guess you could say. So the Clara Walnut, that was your, that was all you. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, she's got actually really good design sense. So I'll I'll consult her on pretty much everything I build. I'll have an idea of what I want to do, but I always run it past her. Like I'm kind of thinking like either light wood or dark wood on this. And what do you think? And, and she's, she's good at giving input that I end up incorporating into a lot of different pieces that I build. But for me, design is the thing that I kind of agonize over more than anything, because I don't have anybody coming to me saying, this is what I want, which almost seems like it, it would make things easier because it narrows everything down quite a bit. I'm not building anything for clients and I'm not even building anything for content creation thinking uh, I'm like, this is what's going to make a great video. I've always just built things for myself. Have you ever built something for a client? Yeah. I mean, you ever got paid for a piece? Yeah. There was a period of time for two or three years where I was building a few pieces that were being sold in some of the local art galleries around town. And is this back in the seventies? <laughs> Not really. Yeah, more like 18, 18, yeah. 18 yeah. <laughs> sure. No, I built some some pieces that got sold in in a few galleries around town. I built some hall tables and just stuff like that. But I I got to a point where I figured. I mean, I obsess. You know me, <laughs> just completely obsessive compulsive over everything in life. So 
I mean, the part that I like the most is the actual process, but I would look back at how much time I had put into a piece and, you know, the expensive materials that came out of my pocket. And I figured I was probably earning like a penny an hour for my actual time. Mm. So at some point I just figured that I was never going to actually try to make a buck selling one of my woodworking pieces again. And that ended up being one of the most liberating moments in my short woodworking career because for the first time ever, I just realized like I was just building stuff for myself and my friends and family and I could really just design and build whatever I wanted to. Yeah. I mean, the only problem then was like, uh, okay, what am I supposed to build now? And that's been kind of the hard part ever since. See, I really... I just envy people that don't do client work because I'm caught in this weird turmoil of like, I want something to be very pleasing to the eye. I want it to look really, really good. Um, But I also have to remember if I spend a thousand hours building something, then I'm not going to make any money. Um, So I have to find like, how can I build it quick and good and still have the design that I want and have it look good? Which is where things like, you know, domino joiners and, and things like that come into play. They're a lot quicker. I don't cut dovetails or box joints. Um, I pre-order a lot of drawers and things like that. A lot of that plays into my design. Yeah. But I'm doing it on a different or for a different purpose than you guys, I guess. So, I mean, like, Mark, when you build a piece that's not for a client... Are you thinking like, I'm going to build this as nice as I possibly can, no matter how long it's going to take? Or do you find yourself trying to do things quick at all? Most of the time. Yeah. And this is something where, uh, because I did build for clients for a long time and and had a a business that didn't do so well, um, I get questions about that and how I approach things differently. And I, I tell people all the time, I build like a hobbyist now. I mean, I still make a living from my work, but I build like a hobbyist who has time to put extra details in and to try to make it as cool as possible or, or take, just put the extra love into it because I love doing this, you know? So mm. it's definitely, um, something that I do like to sometimes make things go faster, but most of the time I don't sacrifice quality. If I can get it to be as good as it can be, that makes, you know, the content better. That, that is kind of part of my brand is, is having a, sure. a higher quality level. Um, so we try, we try to stay consistent with that. Uh, this dining table I just built, I could have done, you know, routered mortise and tenon joints, but we had just come off of a big build that took way too long. We'd had a bunch of delays and it was like two months into this. And we're just like, we're so done with it. I just wanted a quick project. So for the dining table, I pulled out the domino and got it done because that I needed to get this project finished. And I didn't want to delay it anymore. So there are times where I'll, I'll do something like that. And I don't think it's sacrificing the quality of the project. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it might, of course, as you know, we talked about before, you guys may have mentioned before that the whole domino thing is just something where I get a lot of crap for it if I use it because people expect, almost expect me to do more of a classic method. Um, which yeah. is just using another power tool, but let's not get into that. Right? <laughs> you know, it's like, exactly. It's just a better power I, I tool. I like the post you put on Instagram today where you're like, see, you don't need a festival domino to cut these joints. You can just use one of these. <laughs> yeah. And then you're using your festival router. That's just yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, people, but that's the, that's the thing. If you, even if you hand cut mortise and tenon joints to make that table, okay, and then yeah. I make the exact same table and I use a domino joiner, all of that is internal. Mm-hmm. I don't think it compromises the strength of it whatsoever. I agree. It's going to look exactly the same, but my way is way quicker than your way. Right. 
Right. And so for me doing client work, I have to find those things that aren't compromising quality. I don't want to compromise quality. I want my pieces mm-hmm. to be quality. But I have to find those things that, you know, eliminate extra time that isn't going to make a difference. I get questions sometimes, why don't I do box joints or dovetails on my drawers? Um, because most of my clients don't know what a box joint or a dovetail yeah. is. And <laughs> right. they're not going to care or appreciate it. So I could spend the extra time to do it, sure. It's not going to make any difference to them. They just want the overall look to be what they showed me. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I do. Well, when I was building for other people, it was always this conflict in, in my head. I wanted to build better furniture and I wanted to use better techniques because it was fun. I was interested in it and I was just learning and growing. I probably shouldn't have been building for people at the time, but uh, that was part of my my growth process. And I would struggle all the time because I, I my expectations and quality expectations were much higher than the client's. So I had to figure out where can I pull back in a way that's at the level the client will still appreciate and they'll think that I've gone above and beyond when in fact I'm actually dialing it down a little bit. Um, and that was one of my biggest challenges, uh, you know, and why I had a hard time making a living and at the end of a project would do my, you know, calculations on how much I actually made per hour and it was awful. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I just put in way too much time. I mean, if something like the domino existed back then, I'd have been all over it because it's a great, <laughs> because the thing is the decision at the, at that time was not domino versus something else. It was like, well, should I use something other than a mortise and tenon? Should I go with dowels here or can I get away with pocket screws? Well, now the conversation has changed. If you're able to get that domino, well, now you can get a, a pretty decent quality mortise and tenon joint, still get that quality level, but you're getting it super fast, you know, and that, that yeah. wasn't invented at the time. I was talking to a guy at a meetup one time and we were talking about different joinery and he was saying how like we were talking about the domino joiner and how it like it's it's okay to use the domino. And he was kind of on the edge of like, yeah, it's okay to use the domino, but I want to be a real woodworker. And his line, which I will never forget, is I use the domino joiner, but I make my own dominoes. (laughs) <laughs> that makes it that makes you sleep better at night right? right and i was i didn't i didn't say anything i was like oh yeah that's cool but in my mind i'm thinking like it's being buried in the middle of a piece of furniture like i don't i don't understand how that makes yeah. it any better but yeah. okay like all right oh, that's good. they're made out of like highly figured bird's eye maple or something like that yeah yeah <laughs> Well, I know people uh, who use the domino all the time and they make their own because they are just trying to save a few bucks. But I'm like, my time is worth more than that. And, oh, and yeah. the fact that these things exist and all I have to do is go on Amazon and a box will be at my doorstep the next day. Right. Like convenience is everything. That's the yeah. reason I have that tool. Why in the world would I ever want to make it? Like I realize, yeah, I can grab a couple pieces of scrap size them all down, cut them. I'm like, but that sounds like a half day's worth of work that I don't want to do. Defeats the purpose, which is to save you time. To me, it does. Yeah, absolutely. I find that I am more often working on good design and like good technique for my Instagram follower rather than the clients that I'm actually building the pieces (laughs) for. Oh, totally. Because I'll post stuff on Instagram and that's where I get critiqued and people are like, why didn't you do this? Or why did you do that? We're all like painstakingly like lay out the front of a bar hutch that I'm doing, make sure all the drawers and doors, like the grain matches across the entire thing. And I'll drop it off at the client's house and I'll point it out to them and they'll be like, Oh, 
Yeah. <laughs> How about that? Like they just they just don't care. We're on Instagram. It's like Nick with his hand plane just just for the exactly. sake of the Instagram video. Yeah, just for the exactly. Instagram. No, it's just but for if Instagram. I was to post that on Instagram and that was all mix matched and the grain didn't match, I know I would get so many comments of like, Why didn't you match the grain across there? So Instagram keeping me faithful to that design. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the accountability right there. Yeah. I have just the opposite problem of being a hobbyist builder though, where Mark, you said you'd like to take all the time in the world to build stuff and get it right. I have like little to no patience about building stuff. Like I, I think Amazon Prime, speaking of Amazon, has ruined me in that you can get stuff done. I mean, stuff delivered to you in two days where now I, I want to be done with something so much faster. <laughs> yeah. Like I have like I have limited hours to begin with in the shop. So if I get two yeah. days a week I want to be done with something and make progress. So like taking all the time in the world is, is so foreign to me. Like I, I find myself rushing and trying to do things a lot faster and I, I screw up a lot more because of that, but I, I've invested in things like the domino so that I can make things a lot faster and, and get stuff done and it still look great. But I, I wish I, that I would slow down like you said, just take a little bit of time and breathe and think about stuff more often and, and make it look more pretty. And, you know, the design, you know, what if I did this a little bit differently rather than, you know, just slap you know it together. The easiest, the easiest way to start doing that? What's that? Raise your prices. Well, I, ha- well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's totally true. And I mean, I tell people like that all the time in the photography world, like d- shooting weddings, you know, like if, if they're getting burned out, raise your prices. But I think I'm priced pretty high. I, I mean, I turn a lot of work down from people that want, you know, Pinterest farmhouse tables and stuff like that. And I'm, I'll shoot them a price and they're like, whoa. But that's, yeah, you know, that's what well, I have like to- looking. Looking back, I mean, years ago when I first started out, I look at some of the prices I gave to people for a full 10-foot dining room table, and it's just, it's laughable now. Yeah. But my prices were so low, I had to spit stuff out so quick to make any money. Yeah. Where I've finally gotten to that point where I I have raised my prices enough that I can take, a, you know, a, a good amount of time to build one piece of furniture, which naturally slows me down, and I am taking more time, but I mean... It's it's hard to spend that much time or have that patience when you're not making any money. You just want to get it done yeah. and out. Yeah. As as <laughs> Which is funny because I have the opposite problem because I I actually stopped trying to make any money doing this because I wanted to spend all the time in the world actually building stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I just, I really do this not for the finished product. It's for the, the process itself. I mean, that's what I like. And that's when I make the YouTube videos and stuff on Instagram, like that's kind of the part that I like to highlight and glorify is the process itself. Because I, I mean, I, I already have two and a half jobs, so I'm not really looking for third one on top of my family and having a little bit of a life (laughs) but (laughs) both my other jobs are stressful enough between being a firefighter and being a wedding photographer so the woodworking for me is a way to just kind of slow down put the headphones on and shut everything else in my mind off Hmm. yeah i had something interesting happen this is going to be the first time this has happened since i started doing woodworking but um a client is remodeling their entire house. I mean, like the entire thing down to studs and redoing it. It's a, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollar remodel. 
and they're moving out of the house for the process and they basically came to me and they want me to do all of the furniture for the entire house oh, wow. pretty much wow um but i'm so excited because i basically get a focus on one single client for about four or five months that is cool just their furniture wow and i mean i've, I've given myself enough time with the amount of furniture that I have to build that I feel like I can, you know, like slow down a little bit and really focus and and just kind of work on those details. And this client definitely is going to be more into those details than some other clients would, but I don't know. I'm just really excited about that, but that doesn't happen often in my line of work. I mean, lots of times I got this long list of clients that want stuff and I'm just trying to get it out as quick as I can. And that's perfect for you because you won't be building a set of chairs and then another set of chairs and then another set of chairs. Yeah, it'll be, it's all different. It'll all be something yeah, different. Yeah. yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good. Right on. Well, we are coming up on our hour here, so we should probably lead into the segment that we forgot to do last time because we were talking about too much cool stuff, and that is, what is it again, Nick? New maker. Who dis? Who dis? <laughs> so dumb. That's really All right, who dumb. do you got for us? We got to get Mark's voice in on that too, and I'll I'll just sync it in later. <laughs> Mark's like, what? <laughs> I didn't sign up for that. Oh. <laughs> who this? Perfect. True professional. Um. All right, Nick, go. So for this week, I've got a new guy that I've been following for a couple weeks. His name is Andrew Guevara. A G does it, and I'll spell it out for you. A G D U Z I T. Oh, okay. does with he, a Z. Does, yeah, I already the, like him. Does yeah. it. Hey, right. I love it with the Z. He's a maker, so, builder, fabricator. And I've been following him for a while, and he's got some really, really good stuff, really good maker, some really cool builds. What does he make? Pretty much everything. Uh, yeah, he literally does. I'm scrolling through his feed, and it's just all over the place, but it's cool. Yeah, everything he's done has been really, really top-notch. But I, I wouldn't say that Harry he does Potter one fan. thing. He did a Deathly Hollows sign, so that's you know that's cool. Oh, yes, no. that was a feature. Follow Friday. Never mind, that wasn't his. My all-time <laughs> favorite thing that I saw him do was a mid-century modern coffee table. If you scroll through about halfway down, oh yeah, I see it's that. It's pretty, pretty stellar. Ah. Yeah, that's super cool. I like that. Very cool, man. I I'm trying to like think of how to describe him to the people listening with their ear holes, but he's just all over the place. It is a little it's bit really of everything, cool. yeah. But I like that. Yeah, it's kind of like Mark's house. It's very eclectic. <laughs> <laughs> very. I like his uh, profile thing here. It says, uh, "Who does it? I does it." That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I does it. I does it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. He's really good at SketchUp modeling, obviously. Yep. But go check out AG Does It because he is sweet. We will um, post one of his um, posts, repost one of his posts on the Craft Never Die Instagram page and put a link in the show notes. Yeah, he's looks like he's coming up on 800 followers right now. So go blow him up because he's he's hey, got some peeps, cool stuff. You can you can <laughs> get him over a thousand. Oh yeah. How good how good would you feel it yourself? if you were responsible for getting him over a thousand followers. So go do go it. Go give him a follow. Pretty good. Well, thanks, Nick. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, we are going to, um, with that, we're going to head to the after show, I guess. Yeah. Right? Are you going to join us, yeah, Mark? it's that time. Sure. All right. 
Oh, and Mark is going to tell us um, his most embarrassing moment ever in the after show. So you're only going to be able to hear that if you are one of our patrons, which um, if you want to hear about the tears, we're not going to tell you now. Go listen to last episode. We laid out in perfect harmony. So go do that. And we're going to the after show, right? Yep, that's right. Go find, uh, there's a link in the show notes to go find us on Patreon. So you can go listen to the after show too. So if you guys are signed up for that, we'll see you there. And oh, and I will say, no one has signed up for our top tier, Ooh, which I don't know what that's called, that's but that's where I will personally turn you on the lathe, an old man pen. Um, it's only a hundred dollars per episode. I don't know why no one's jumping at that. And it's completely, <laughs> it is completely anonymous, but we will let you know when somebody makes, when somebody hits that mark. We'll, yeah. we'll let you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> we'll shout out their initials or something like that on the show. Something like that. <laughs> I will write out their name with the turned pen and hold it up to the microphone. <laughs> right on, everyone. Mark Spagnolo, thanks again for joining us. And uh, hey, I'm going to go put a link in the show notes for our Craft It Forward campaign. Go check it out on GoFundMe if you haven't already. We're going to put your money where our mouth is and make sure that the craft will truly never die and hook up a high school wood shop with tools and funding to teach the next generation of makers. I know this thing is brand new, but we have yet to see a dime hit that account. So go head over there and be the first one. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, Mark's going to join us in the after show. And if you guys want to get in on that too, just join us on Patreon. Every single level of support gives you access to the after show and also just helps us keep this thing going. Thanks again, everyone. And I'll see you guys later. Peace. Later. Toodles. Toodles.